Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello, Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And together we are doing a season that is all about the relationship between success in business and the relationship. And today we have a very special guest, Alessa Rizzo from Boston, from the Conscious Leadership Company. Uh, Alessa is an expert on leadership development and has a very interesting story related to how she developed her business and was supported in all sorts of ways by her spouse. Hello, Alessa. Hi. Hi. It's good to Hi. have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. So uh, let's start by giving us a little bit about uh, your background story with, you know, you were engaged and you decided to build a business and, yes. and tell us what happened. What was the re- response? Yes. So I'm going to back it up even more than that. So uh, when I was in college, that's when my inspiration around leadership development really started poking its head above the water. Um, a really fun thing about my history and background is when I was a junior in college, I sailed around the world on a boat. And um, like literally Morocco, Ghana, South Africa, Mauritius, India, China, Singapore, Vietnam. So had this exposure to just different ways that people comport themselves in the world. And my background, um, I say that I did behavior change through the back end. Um, I studied international relations and economics, which I say is all about human behavior and how people interact. And to be able to see policy across the world in live time with different people really um, bubbled up to this idea of me understanding just how important leadership was and the decision maker who's in that seat, who's making policy that affects all these other people. So um, when I graduated school, I knew that I was headed for something to do with like leadership, impact, influence, development, but I didn't know what the pieces were. So just like many new college grads, I got a corporate job because what else was I supposed to do in terms of leadership? And within eight months, that job ended. And all of a sudden, I was faced with a crossroads. And um, my mother at the time was was saying, you know, I, that's also when I started to get into personal development and a lot of um, co- the coaching world. And I was doing it a lot for my own personal support. And she said, you know, Alyssa, you're really good at this. You should, you should really consider doing this. Now, I was 23 at the time. And I was like, ah. No one is going to take a 23-year-old coach seriously. Like, what are you talking about? And, um, you know, she had a lot of, she was an HR corporate for her whole career. She was a naturopathic doctor. So she actually did have more credence than just, you're my mom and you love me. And so it took about a year for me to really sit on that, to choose to pursue the path of entrepreneurship. And in that year, I also met my now husband. And um, kind of funny how things work out because... We met when I was still working in corporate. Six weeks into us dating is when my corporate job ended. And so all of a sudden, we're still dating, and I'm starting to straddle these worlds of, do I want to stay with sort of the traditional, have a job, build credentials, and do leadership in sort of this this hierarchical and very structured way that already exists? Or do I do entrepreneurship and build everything on my own? And ultimately, the question came down to either I can bet on myself Or I can bet on someone else's potential good opinion of me. 
to mentor me through the ranks. I said, I'm going to bid on the house. Nice. Every single time, I'm going to bid on the house. And my whole thing was, even if it fails, I can still go back to working externally. You know, I think I think between the leadership opportunities of cultivating your own business, between problem solving, between resiliency, the emotional resiliency, but also like the business resiliency and the problem solving. And just, I felt like the personal development that goes into building a business would be more valuable for me at that time in my life than sort of putting myself underneath someone else's wing and having them mentor me. So I sort of became my own mentor. <laughs> by building a business. So, so Alessa, you chose to open up a business uh, at a point where you were objectively young and, yeah, very. and, and, and also young in, in the relationship. Absolutely. What, what was the response that you got from, from your then engaged, your boyfriend? We were dating at that point, but yeah, no, it's a good question. So <laughs> funny, about four months in, this is a, a, a story I'll never forget. I have a very big personality, right? And I take up a lot of space in the room and I have very powerful visions. You can kind of hear it. And when I talk and I was asking my partner and I said, you know, what do you like, what, what draws you to me in, in this space? And he looks me straight in the face and he said, you know, I, uh, you have really big dreams and I, I kind of want to help, help you support wow. you in them from the get go. That was, and, and my, my husband is an introvert, like capital I introvert. He doesn't talk to people. He doesn't share himself emotionally. And, you know, if we even want to talk about like he, on our very first date, I was like, you know, why, why me? Why did you pick that you wanted to figure this out? And he said, I just want to know everything about you. And That's I was like, guy, yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is amazing. So charmed and enchanted would be the appropriate description. Wow. But it's, it was also a very powerful context, I think, to meet because automatically we knew in our dating that my work in the world was going to lead how the partnership was had to orient itself. And if the partnership didn't orient itself to supporting me in the work I was going to do in the world, the partnership probably wouldn't have worked out. Mm. And so my husband and I even have conversations now around, do you understand that your spouse is headed for a very, a very powerful career in the public eye? And do you, are you ready for handling what that means for when you're the spouse of instead of, you know, and, and I mean, he said, yes, I signed up for that from day one. And of course the proof will always be in the pudding when it happens, but those have been some of the upfront conversations that I felt we needed to have just so that he knew what essentially what he was getting into. And, and has it been challenging for him or how has it been for him? It's been challenging in ways that neither of us expected. So we had a very significant loss in our family early on in both our dating years and in building my business. My mother died very suddenly when I was 27. So we're mm. talking, you know, I'm a couple years into building my business, so I was starting to ramp up and starting to gain some really nice traction, starting to build some consistent income. And then the most powerful tragedy of my life happened suddenly, unexpectedly. She was diagnosed and six weeks later, she was dead. Oh, wow. um, so it was shock and awe. And all of a sudden, and many entrepreneurs will resonate with this, when you have that kind of sudden grief, when your whole business is dependent on you to run the engine and you don't even have the engine to get out of bed, yeah. you have to let go of your business. Yeah. And I was a super high achieving, super highly capable, highly creative, very passionate person. 
but I understood that I needed to put my emotional needs first and let go of this vision that I had. And I wasn't really concerned about the impact that doing that would have on the partnership. It just became an instance of how. How are we going to walk through this? Because all the dreams that we had started to build together from that point now had to get put on hold indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't super concerned that we were going to start to have problems and crack apart. I was really just concerned with how long is my, it was my then then fiance. We had been, so we dated when we met and then we were engaged. I was just concerned about how long can he sort of hold the fort down when his partner is not just emotionally devastated on the floor. And I wouldn't say that I was emotionally unavailable to him, but I was in a position where I couldn't contribute to the relationship emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so to all of a sudden overnight go from a partnership, really both a partnership in emotions, but also him trusting that I was able to, we always knew we want, we needed and wanted to be a two family income. All of a sudden there's no finances coming in from one partner and there's no, like, when is that going to be possible yeah. again? And even the, this big, like this woman that I married, this effervescent light, who's, who's passionate and enthusiastic and full of life can't get out of bed. Yeah. And kudos to him because I'll tell you what, my sister was with us the week my mother died and my, my husband drove her to the airport and um, she was just checking in and said, you're going to, you're going to take care of Alyssa. And he kind of got this, she told me later, a year later, um, cause due to my grief, I wouldn't have been able to hear it sooner, but she said, he, you know, he looked at me with, you know, not a scary smile, but a little bit of smile. I looked her dead in the face and said, I got this. And my sister said, that's when I knew I could go home and you'd be fine. So he literally picked up all of the slack in terms of the household management. I was able to go grocery shopping, but I really didn't have the emotional capacity to cook the meals, clean the house, never mind, make plans for our future. And, and it was almost like my husband, I say that I married an old soul in a young body because no one had to tell this man what he needed to do to support his grieving wife. He just sort of slid right in and understood that his job was to hold the container, continue putting the roof over our heads and just show up for me however I needed him to show up. Like he understood kind of intuitively without having to be told that it wasn't the him show. Yeah. It was the me show. And he had no, no energetic or emotional charge on that. He didn't have any problem with that being his responsibility. And that took a lot of the burden off of me because here I am, I'm not even able to show up the way that I had hoped I could show up to anything. And so all the old agreements with our relationship were now null and void because I was incapable of showing up. And in some partners, in some contexts, when you're incapable of showing up, the partnership breaks. Yeah. And we were able to sort of on the fly figure out how to do this dance differently. And we're still, because we're three years in, we're still doing this dance differently. I'm now in a state where I can rebuild my business, but I'm essentially rebuilding from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's okay being a financial provider, but he basically had said to me, you know, we're at the point in our life where we want to buy a home and start a family. So I still understand that your business is the, the thing that you want to do, but it's going to be able to need to start earning some income that we can put towards the family bottom line in the next year or so. And if it doesn't, then we do need to have you have some external employment. And that is, you know, when you understand partnership orientation, even when you're in a very vulnerable and weak spot, 
you cultivate the ability to hear your partner say that to you. And I'll just also admit that in my personal history, because I had to do a lot to be able to become that kind of partner, years and years and years prior, that might have been too hard for me to hear. That might have been really vulnerable for me to hear and might have crashed me to the ground. But it was important to me, so we can also backtrack if you you know, want me to talk about the personal development that took to get to this kind of partnership, because, you know, our relationship, it wasn't that it's been full of conflict and challenge. It's neither one of us really having any role models for what healthy partnership looks like and us having to teach ourselves on the fly and me through my behavioral expert self calling the pieces because I can't show up as coach Alyssa in my relationship. So how do I take these pieces of what I've learned from doing relationship coaching just as a single person and on my own and weave those into the partnership in a way that my spouse doesn't feel emasculated, doesn't feel taken down, doesn't feel shamed or the problem that he's never been exposed to these concepts. So there's a lot of those concepts that I did bring to the partnership that really have allowed us to weather the storm. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like he didn't, ju- didn't just say it to your sister. He really had it, huh? I got this. He totally I- did. Yeah. I got these are like the three sexiest words. yeah right right yeah and um you know he he also knew how to waylay her fears right in three short words and uh you know he he really has been my hero for all of that you know because I think it's easy I think in partnership and so this is like my behavioral coach talking because I work a lot with visionaries in my practice about the sustainability and the supportiveness of their marriages And one of the things that I think is super powerful is it's very easy for someone to crack when their partner is no longer able to show up the same way that their partner has always been able to show up. And it can ignite a lot of fears in you. If your partner is cracking, it can bring up all kinds of fears and anxieties and, you know, manipulative behavior and snarky comments, just it can bring up so much fear that you, the person who didn't have the tragedy happen to you, all of a sudden sort of gets pulled out of your own orbit because it's so powerful to be in that, you know, it's it's not a best friend relationship, right? So in a best friend relationship, you might still be able to hold that strength when your best friend cracks. But in a in a marital or in that deep relationship, you know, it can, it can bring up a lot of fears and anxieties and that that's what didn't happen with us. And I think that's a really powerful story to tell because we need stories of the winning. We need stories of how it went right, how everything in life went wrong. And then the partnership was able to go right. Mm-hmm. So moving, moving fast forward to today, I want to ask you what type of things that are happening in your relationship that allows you to not only overcome this terrible tragedy and, and, and total crash uh, three years yeah. ago, and, and, and then restarting, not just like emotionally, but restarting your, your business. And then, but now you're, you're already uh, you know, growing and getting results and helping people. You're working with visionary people. You're working with, with people that need help with their leadership development. And and you still feel supported. Tell talk talk a little bit about that. Yes. So this we I think this was like year two that we were together, and we. So I was 
a behavioral expert before we got together. So I had a lot of tools to bring to the relationship as he and I were building from the get-go and to the point where his best man at our wedding was, was, you know, talking about like, how, how come you guys never fight? Like my wife and I are fighting all the time. You guys never fight. And my husband said, you know, our relationship was designed from day one to be able to handle conflict in a certain way. So um, there is some usefulness to partnering with someone who has those skills and he was game for it. You know, I, I say to people that, no, you can never coach your spouse and you never should, but that doesn't mean that you can't bring certain things to the table that they might appreciate because it supports the container and it supports them and it supports them supporting you. And they're open to that. And so for me, I grew up in a family that was very con both conflict heavy and conflict avoidant, where my family would avoid conflict and my family of origin all the way until it like blew up into a million pieces and everything went. And it was like horrible. And I was, I was, you know, we, the, I, I took a very strong stand and said, my relationship is going to look very, very different. We're going to deal with conflict head on. And here's the ways that we're going to deal with it. And so my husband knew through, as we were bridging our life together in those early years, and I would bring some of those tools, he always joined me in the tool. He was never resistant to the tool. And I know that had a lot to do with how I presented it and how I pitched it to him because I always made him feel like an equal while I was pitching the tool to him versus putting my coach Alyssa hat on and teaching him the same way that I would teach a client. I was very, very conscious in how I did it. And I think that's also what made him very receptive. And then we used the tool and of course it worked. So positive reinforcement breeds the same behavior. And so we were able to just continue to use the tool. And one of the most powerful tools is quite frankly, the peace table. And this is literally straight out of the Montessori school curriculum. So tell us um, what, what's that? What's the peace so table? So what is the peace table? Yes. It's, it's the simplest process you'll never have heard of in your entire life. And when I tell you, you'll be like, oh my God, why did I never hear about that ever? <laughs> so we had a point in our relationship. We were engaged. My mother was still alive at this point. We were engaged, but he was having some behaviors that were deal breakers for me. And I didn't want the relationship to deal break. The behavior needed to break. Otherwise, we weren't going to have a future. And it was along the lines of sometimes people use tones to communicate what they really want because they don't necessarily have other ways to do it. And I, unfortunately, the way that I brought it up did create a, you know, but the coming together was the most important piece. And I had remembered from a, a colleague of mine who taught at, at, a, at a preschool and she talked about the Montessori Peace Table Method. And essentially you, you have a talking token and we, we still have our talking token. And the rules are very simple. You both sit down and the agreement is no yelling, no name calling, no, if it starts to get escalated, you, you back down and you come back when people are de-escalated again. And when one person talks, the other person listens and you have the token. And if I have the token, I'm the one who's talking and you're the one who's listening and you're actively listening, meaning you're asking questions or you're asking for clarification or you're mirroring back what I'm saying. And when I'm done, I pass the token to you and I can't talk. It's your turn to talk. Um, other than sort of asking questions and clarification, you can't talk. And then you basically just pass the token back and forth until it's done. Beautiful. And, um, you know, so we had this giant fight where I was like, hey, this behavior needs to change. And I presented it to him a little bit clumsily, um, which I also think is important because I think, it's, I think it matters that you, you can be okay even when you do something clumsily in relationship, that the relationship can recover and the recovery process can fix the clumsy. And so when I was like, hey, dude, like I can't do this anymore. 
And what I meant was I can't do the behavior. The way that he internalized that in that moment was I can't be in relationship with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And so before us even being able to go to the peace table, he had to go take a two day time out where he like literally went and stayed at our family's camp house for a few days while he sort of, you know, just sorted through what did he want? What did he need? Because what I brought up was so inflammatory to both him and the two of us. So he had to go take a cool down time, which also I had to ground myself. I had to center myself. I had to make sure I wasn't in a state of heightened anxiety because I also knew that if I was in a heightened state of anxiety, we were never going to work this through. I was the one that I don't want to say intentionally caused the blowout, but I was the one who brought up that we had a problem of that degree. And, you know, I really had to lean into trusting that this very new process called the peace table and seeing what it brought. And it was so successful that that's how we deal with conflict from now on. Like, and we've established this language. The most powerful thing I think about it was the language of the peace table, because now we have a language to say, I need a peace table Hmm. or I need a peace table moment. And so it's a way to introduce, I have something vulnerable to share with you. And I think that's the most powerful piece for our marriage and peace in our marriage Because we have a way to introduce, I have a really important need and I'm scared. Mm, And so it automatically puts, like when I say to him, peace table, he knows exactly what version of his ears he needs to put on. Mm -hmm. And he also knows that he can't be playing video games, that he needs to, this needs to be intentional time, that he can't be split focused. He needs to be totally focused on me. And so it's created safety in in me because I know that my needs are going to get met. So I'm not even coming from a heightened state, but it also creates safety for him because he knows he's not going to be attacked. And so we've already come to this place with de-escalated energy. And again, positive reinforcement breeds the behavior you want to see. So because we've had this peace table go so well, we've become very good at handling very triggering style conflicts in a super... It doesn't mean that emotions aren't heightened and it doesn't mean that we're both not scared, but we have a way of being able to dance in that space so that each of us can find the clarity that we need to find and feel heard and validated by the other, even if there is no resolution to be found in the moment. Beautiful. You you created a beautiful structure that will help you be vulnerable with each other and resolve conflict and and strengthen trust. Absolutely. And that did come from, you know, yes, I had to look up Montessori School Peace Table when I first was figuring out how to handle this conflict. But again, you know, being a, a behavioral specialist, when you, I knew that by creating emotional safety, that is the most important piece for all the, all the people. And I also knew early on in our marriage, right, creating emotional safety so that my partner doesn't have to feel like this is like we're going to be dealing with conflict in a way that brings out the worst in each other. Mm-hmm. And so I also had a long range view of like, not only do these things, do these things need to get worked out now, I want to establish as, as Shahar, you said, trust for the future of this structure of how we use. And now we really only need the peace table for like really, really big, important things. We've developed enough of a dance of sharing vulnerably that I don't necessarily need to use peace table language about like, you know, I didn't really like that you teased me in front of your family like that, Mm -hmm. you know, because we have an established rapport of how to talk about hard things. And I think if there's any like advice that I have to anyone who's in any level of relationship, whether brand new or long-term, because we were still very new, um, the peace table came in, yeah, you're, you're two. 
um, and we're eight years in now, by creating structures that can be conflict resilient, it will help build all of the underpinnings that are necessary to be able to to talk about stuff that you're really afraid is going to trigger your partner and shut them down. Wow. A conflict resiliency. I love this. You've been getting to this point where your self-development brought you to create a relationship with your spouse that allows you to overcome conflicts with the peace table. And that allowed you to, you know, overcome go, no go situations with deal breakers that it's, it's, It's actually, uh, I have to say, very mature to be yeah. aware of your deal breakers, to be uh, aware of your real deepest needs. And, and, and I think that's cool. And then nowadays, you know, you go into the, into the, the front line of leadership development, knowing that you have systems to overcome any obstacle in your own relationship and knowing that you are fully and utterly supported. So how does that affect you when you look into the eye of a visionary leader and you see that he needs your help and he tells you that he needs your help? How does it affect you? Yeah, it gives me confidence, actually. It gives me confidence that I can create safe space for their vulnerability. And knowing that when we create that safe space for vulnerability to come forward, that's when the true stories of everything start coming out. And it gives me the confidence that, that they're telling me the truth, right? Because you can only help someone to the extent that they're willing to be real about what they feel and what they perceive the problem is both with themselves or whatever's going on in the situation. And so going through these challenges personally has given me a, a powerful amount of compassion for other people, but it also gave me the ability to know how to create a container where they feel safe spilling their guts, good, bad, and ugly, but also like really, yes, there's the piece around spilling your guts, but there's also the pieces of like, it's also really vulnerable to take credit for things that you're proud of. Yeah. Right. And so part of safe space is letting someone say, I'm just so damn good at this. And I say, yes, you are. It's true. From a behavioral development perspective, hang your hat on that. That is part of your genius. And that is absolutely something that you deserve to stand in. And I teach people when we're celebrating their strengths, because celebrating your gifts and strengths is vulnerable too. And I say, lean into that. So, you know, when I see someone who's a really good problem solver because we're looking at where they get stuck in their leadership or where they get stuck in their business. And one of the themes that I find is that, you know, they're a really good problem solver, but the way they solve problems, like they don't think that because that's just what they do naturally. And I say, can you see how intuitively you really put all the pieces of that thing together? You did the math and this is what you came out with. And did you understand that, like, that's really special that you did it that way? And oftentimes my leaders are like, no, there's nothing special. Like you would have done the same in your position. I'm like, no, that's how you know it's a genius. A genius is something that you can do so intuitively well without anyone teaching you how. And then you're mystified that other people don't see it that way. You do it that well because it's your genius, not because it's quote unquote obvious to everyone. Hmm. And so... Having that be the underpinning of where I start with my visionaries, it breeds a lot of confidence for them to sort of, I call it, put their legs down and plant their legs in this aspect of who they are. Because that skill of intuitive problem solving or that skill of really, I have a client who's just the bomb at communication. Like they're just really great at it and they never understood how good they were at it 
And I said, do you understand that you know how to illustrate concepts in ways that land for people that three other people could have illustrated the same concept and it doesn't land? And lean into those gifts. You can trust those gifts about yourself, you know, and that also calms down all the anxieties that they have about what's not working. Because now we use essentially strengths-based problem solving, right? We take their strengths and how do we apply those strengths in in solving those issues that are really, really sticky. So, and I also use this in my partnership, right? So I knew that I could trust my partner to hold the bucket for me because we had, I think we were five years into my mom's side. You know, we had, we had a number of years of conflict resolution already in our relationship bucket. So we had heightened the ability and some really important skills so that when, you know, yes, I was afraid about how this watershed moment was going to, you know, impact us long term, I knew that the boat was safe for me to lean into it. And I think that is so, 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 so powerful to be able to trust not only yourself about what you can put your legs down in, but also like, what do you trust in your partnership? And what do you trust in your teammate because of how you've danced together and how they can show up? Because you've had some trial run. So you went from from deciding to become an entrepreneur and to build a business all the way through the tragic downfall, completely all the way down to the abyss. And then, and then like the Phoenix, recovered and was supposed to, was supported through and through before, in the middle and after the process. And now your, uh, your business is helping leaders identify their genius and mm-hmm. develop, like make, make their vision into a reality and put it into comprehensible words that can be understood and, and moving forward. And I think that's really, really, really beautiful to see, you know, the power of the power that of, of vulnerability and that you took as, as, a, as, a, as a part of your relationship and the power of safety and the safe space that you've created that, that that I must say is adorable of the of the peace table. I wish I wish you know everyone had those type of habits uh, because you learn those things. You don't like you're not born with them. I think you learn how to communicate in ways that create safety in in other people. So I think you've earned the the, the bragging right in in our show. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what type of people might be interested in learning more? about uh, conscious leadership. Conscious leadership, yeah. So I, there is a story I do want to share before I go into that because I, I think it's actually really important. With After the crash of my mom and when I was still on the floor, um, being terrified of how long it was going to take me to rise. The other thing about visionaries, okay, so this will be a, a both and. I'll tell this story and I'll talk about visionary leaders and, and what I do with that because it's a really good. The first thing to understand when you're a partner of a visionary is you are never going to be first in their life period the end. It's just not. They're here on this planet. Their soul's mission is to build that vision. That is why they are here. If they are not in service of cultivating that vision, the worst in them will be brought out and the worst in them will come out in your partnership, especially if they feel like you're the one who's holding the reins that's pulling them back from being able to be of service for the reason why their soul incarnated. So talk about resentment and and sort of challenge. So when I was on the floor, really not able to function and feeling super vulnerable, one of the things that I said to my my husband, I think we were still engaged at that point, was, you know, like, do you understand that you're being partnered with someone? Okay, yeah, you, you understood the whole big dream thing, but do you also understand that like, 
this vision, like, I don't know where it's going to take us. And if it says move to Florida in the next three months, like, and I have to follow that impulse, like, what is it? What do you think that means for us? Like, are you, are you prepared for that? Like, can you handle that? And I was, I literally, this conversation was happening in the kitchen floor. He, I was sitting on the kitchen floor. Cause that's where like I lived for a couple of years. Um, and he was literally making dinner. So talk about emotional, vulnerable question and from a vulnerable position in a vulnerable moment. And I just was like, I have to ask this question. Like, you know, how, how do you feel about that? And he, you know, he sort of looks at me and the three things that he said totally floored me in the best possible way. Thank goodness I was already sitting on the floor. And the first thing that he said was, you know, babe, I really trust you. You know, I really trust that if I need to add a piece to the vision as it's getting built, or if I have a preference that you'll build in my preferences, it was part of the plan. And I can't tell you in that moment how much that was medicine for me in this moment, because here I am still understanding that at the end of the day, I need to go back to building my vision, even though like through the grief journey, there was a lot of questioning. Do I go back and do this? And I decided that I did. And, uh, you know, are, are you going to be with me in this in this way? And not only was the answer yes, but the answer was I trust you in our partnership. Because from day one, you never made it be an either or. It was always a both and. And those weren't like the words that he said, but that was essentially what he was trying to communicate. And and then the other thing was, I was like, you know, do you understand the whims of someone who's guided by like a vision, like something greater than them that they can't really see and they might not always be able to articulate it in a really good way to so other people understand? That's like the number one challenge of visionaries. Like we see things in their most fully developed form, but what we are really challenged by is translating that form to what other people can understand in the now. But also sometimes our visions are you know, 20, 30, 50 years in the future. But because we see it so intuitively fully developed, we don't understand that it's going to take 15 years of building the understructure before that vision can even start to emerge as anything like what it's going to look like in the future. So one of the struggles of visionaries, and this is to answer your question, what do I help visionaries with other than everything? But we visionaries struggle with the process of seeing this beautiful vision and then understanding timeline understanding that sometimes what you have to build first is the understructure will look nothing like the vision. And so you'll actually kind of feel like you're wasting your time. You're not wasting your time. You're building skills, but it looks kind of like your vision's over here, but the train is kind of going hyper skilter in another direction. Eventually they'll come together with all the skills that you'll learn and the networks that you'll build and the experience that, you, that you'll have. But part of building a vision is becoming the leader. This is the leadership development part, becoming the leader that that vision needs you to become so that it can get built. So, you know, if there's anything that I do with visionaries, it's that. And, you know, and I was so fortunate that I had to build a relationship at the same time as all of this. And I knew that I had to build this relationship with particular kinds of expectations, as well as, a, you know, conflict resiliency and, and building it super strong. Because I also knew that as I was building all of this, I'm financially relying on my spouse. And we didn't necessarily set it up that way, but that's kind of how it worked out. So he has to have a certain level of buy-in that I can be successful. Not just me be successful, but the vision that I'm spending so much time and essence and energy cultivating, that he can get on board with that. That that's something that he wants to dedicate his resources to, not to the vision directly, but indirectly through pouring the support through me. And, uh, you know, and I was like, are you sure you want to sign up for this? And this was the other thing that put me on the floor in, in that moment in the kitchen. And he said, well, I never wanted normal. 
spirit at that time because you know we were still in this indefinite space of how long are things going to take and he was showing up with on some level a very high degree level of confidence yeah you're not normal in the most beautiful way and and, and you know in that moment in the kitchen uh what he said about knowing that you're going to consider his needs that's one of the ways we we describe secure attachments mm-hmm. so secure attached as Couples who are securely attached, the, the solutions they're looking for take consider both couple, both partners' needs. So that was a really awesome wow. response. Yeah. And and to elaborate on that too, you know, we were so many years in at that point. So my his words had a lot more credence because my actions had things backed up with them, right? So it wasn't like in year two, I'm promising that. And then we learn I don't actually have the skills to deliver it emotionally, energetically, spiritually, et cetera. So him being able to validate that, you know, we, again, talking about leaning in, we could lean into that. We could trust that because there was a precedent for it to be able to get built on more. Yeah. And that's how trust deepens by moments again and again, moments that you show up for each other. So we're kind of running out of time. We could talk uh, and talk about these topics of vulnerability and secure attachment and the generosity that it brings to a relationship. Uh, we could talk about that forever. And, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's a great uh, point to stop. We're going to put in our show notes uh, the links to uh, the Conscious Leadership uh, website and uh, so, like, so that anyone that wants to connect with Alessa Rizzo and uh, learn uh, you you're not just a local business you 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 work with anyone with it from yep. anywhere right so yep i uh, do leadership knows no bounds exactly nice. so and today like with zoom you can pretty much do anything Absolutely. um or with any other type of uh, meeting technology so we'll make sure that uh, guys uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested in learning more about leader leadership development and about conscious leadership and If you're feeling that you resonated with the visionary uh, archetype of, of um, like being in this situation where you need some support to take your vision and put it into words and plans and, and all of the rest, go and into the show notes on generousmarriage.com and learn more about Alessa Rizzo. Alessa, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing with us your story. And thank you so much also. Like I salute to your spouse, for being someone like sounds like a really wonderful partner that uh, has been trusting you and supporting you for so long and i think that's beautiful and uh, yeah. uh thank you for sharing this moment with thank us thank you thank you for letting me share our story right it's mine but it's really ours and uh, i'm happy to have it you know be a way showing opportunity for other people conflict doesn't have to kill your marriage and um, you can consciously co-create even from day one without having a lot of tools and having skills you can cultivate that so thank you for letting me be that example beautiful thank you so much and we'll see you guys next week on the generous marriage podcast bye 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 bye